Listeners, over the past seasons, Indy and I have tried to do two things. The first was to look at BDSM through a number of layers. Symbols and meaning was our first season. Our second were looking at social structures like religion, archetypes and hierarchy. And our third season looked at BDSM through the layer of shame and effectiveness. The second thing we have explored is ourself. Through our rambles, we have documented our personal journey. And so we'd like to invite you to join us as we recap these episodes in their entirety. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's count it down. A season one, two, three. Like instead of going three, two, one, we go one, two, season three. Yeah? One, two, season three. All right. One. one. Oh, it doesn't work if we both do it because then it cuts it out. So you go one, I go two, you go season, I go three. Okay. One. Two. Season. Three. <laughs> we are back for a third season of BDSM Reimagined. That's right. And it has been a while, Indy. It has. Oh. I don't even remember what you look like. It's been that long. <laughs> That's true, actually. It has been a, almost a good year. I am so excited about season three. It's just going to be mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> and to start the season off, listeners, we've changed things around. We're going to actually start with the rambles, and that will lead us into our season. Rambly, rambly, rambly. Rumble, rumble. <laughs> okay, I think you need more time <laughs> by yourself, MD. I think we need more of a break. <laughs> ramble, ramble, ramble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we would like to update you with where we're at now, and we think this is a good uh, entry into the season. So sit back, get your popcorn or chocolate licorice if you're indie, and enjoy the show and season ahead. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> to start the rambles, Indy, what's been happening on your side of the oh, world? Because you're in oh. Sydney and there's been huge lockdowns oh. now. And oh, you're, you are where we were the last time we recorded this season. The tables have turned completely. Oh. <laughs> so, well, yeah, we went into lockdown the same week I was hospitalised and then <laughs> found out. <laughs> Are you going to say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No shame, no shame. I've got no I shame. <laughs> I was hospitalised. And then I found out that I have to move from this gorgeous house that I've been renting. And I thought I was going to be here for years. So it fucked me up. <laughs> 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 and then, of course, the complacency in New South Wales where we all thought, ah, oh, no more COVID. No, it doesn't exist here. We're fine. I had to go through the whole process of actually reckoning with it and going, oh, right, wait, yeah. Mm. And we're now at 1,500 cases a day. Mm. And just under three months of lockdown. Yeah. So I had a full-on breakdown, uh, which involved actually calling you in the middle of the night. Mm. 
But that's not all that broke down in D. Your sex drive also took a sharp turn for the worst. Mm. It just dove down into nothingness. Yeah, you. I mean, listeners, Indy did contact me throughout the last few months, actually. And her interest, actually, in BDSM had just sort of, has just sort of plateaued and um, really just dropped off the radar. Mm. Yeah. So there was a, because of everything else, I think that my resources were devoted elsewhere. Mm. <laughs> Very well put, Indy. <laughs> But baby, I'm back. <laughs> have you actually had a session? I have. Mm. I did have a session. I enjoyed it. And I've had about a week of playing on and off with someone I'm regular with. Uh, yeah, it's been good. It's been good to get back into it. How about you, Michael? You threw that ball straight back at me. All right, I'll play along. <laughs> so where am I at? Yes, I've also actually taken a bit of a nose dive as well. I've, I've become completely defeated by the scene. <laughs> Just, oh, many different things have happened. Um, on the Instagram scene, I have, I went through a huge uh, moment one night where I panicked. I went into this huge panic and when I I look back now, it came down from just too much, not knowing what to do with too much attention, but at the same time, doing things to get attention. I don't really feel any sympathy for you right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I just felt, I think, the flavors of unable to stop doing something that you want to reduce. So on Instagram, I want to reduce my use. And I have in some, uh, it's very, it's actually very sneaky because I have in some ways, but in some ways I'm actually posting a lot more live things of me and just little snippets. Anyway, the, the thing is what I'm struggling with is Instagram in itself, uh, even outside of kink, just Instagram in itself, and this constant um, presence I have with it, I'm on it quite a lot. And at the same time, sort of really um, liking posts and pictures and attention that I put up. So it's this weird headspace. So what I'm hearing is that there's a tension for you about being on it, but then also feeling like there's ways in which you want to reduce. Mm. And just stop. I just, some, I just have this feeling of I'm just going to press the stop button and, you know, just. I met this guy. Uh, I went to Manchester Pride and I met this guy and a uh, beautiful guy, just beautiful eyes, actually, and the rest as well. And, um, Nothing like special, like nothing. Now he was special because he wasn't anything typically special, if you know what I mean. You had these beautiful men you see on Instagram, but he wasn't that. He was just so ordinary that he shone so brightly. And his eye, I drew attention to his eyes, and, he, and when I saw his eyes, 
bright blue. I just saw how beautiful he actually was. And I saw him and I uh, just was completely vanilla with him. Did you meet this guy through Instagram? No, I met him at, oh, at a club at Manchester Pride on the dance floor, like the olden days. Mm. And um, it was very nice to be vanilla with him and not have a persona, truck persona. He played into some of that, like he liked my muscles, etc. But that's normal. But there was no persona that I created through Instagram that he was interacting with. If there was limerence then or infatuation, then it was naturally in the moment and not built up over a series of, of images. It was just a very nice experience to have, which reminded me, which made me question if this whole kink thing is... How did kink get... How did my relationship with kink get so important? Mm. Mm. And that, that, that question really played on my mind during our sex and afterwards. And it's actually been playing my mind for months now, but it's only articulated in the way that it has now. And is it that you've got answers to that question or you're trying to figure out what might be the answer? I'm trying to figure out what might be the answer. I've got ideas, and I think we explored some of the ideas in, in the second season, which is missing role models, mentors, you know, natural uh, urges to worship, etc. But it's just still sort of plaguing me. So I, I, I still feel, uh, even with that knowledge, and even with some of the answers I've come up with, and some of the therapy I've done, I still feel that the kink has more power over me than I do over it. So essentially there's more for us to explore and this question you've got is really, I think, setting the tone for what we're going to be talking about uh, the rest of this season. Michael, your reflections are intriguing to me and we only got so far in seasons one and two. It's as if we haven't really been able to unpack a lot of sort of driving force yet. You know, when you're saying that you've only gone so far and it feels like kink is still such a force in your day-to-day. Mm. There are deeper hands pulling the strings. Mm. Mm. And I'm hearing you and thinking I, I kind of relate to where you're at because I've now been in kink for over a year and I do wonder when I'm in it. I just think, what what's going on here when I'm playing these personas and seasons one and two have helped me understand it, like you said, but there's still big aspects of it that just feel like they're uncovered because it's just, it's, it's, it seems to be things around intimacy, you know, like actual connection. When I'm playing the role of the dominant, uh, it's come out of a time in my life where I've become incredibly disillusioned with intimacy and connection. And so what, what am I doing? What are these props that I'm playing out so that I can still feel connected? Mm. Still feel like I can be intimate? Because right now vanilla is terrifying to me. 
vanilla is associated with connection and vulnerability and also disappointment. Mm. And I think I've been going through a path of, oh, BDSM, kink, it's a whole other area. I could just exist in this plane of reality within sex. And what I've started to increasingly find is that there is disappointment here too in BDSM. There's also lots of fun, don't get me wrong. Uh, However, you could say this about vanilla as much as you could say about BDSM. So why is BDSM not as disheartening as vanilla then, if it's the same? Well, that's my question. Why is my preference to stay within BDSM? Hmm. It feels safer to be in BDSM. It feels more like I have protection. Mm. It's a pseudo form of intimacy in, in, in some ways. I have the guy coming over soon and he's going to clean my room and serve me, etc. Is this the one who organises your underpants in that really cool way? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And there is some authenticity behind me behind the hierarchy between me and him. There is authenticity behind that. It's a way to feel, if I scratch more deeply, it's a way to feel somehow in contact. It's a way to feel um, important. And, yeah, important. I was going to say powerful, but powerful for me, has is too simplistic. Important is much more three-dimensional. And me engaging in these sessions just feels, as a dominant, just feels a way to feel, to feel something, even, that I'm desired or... I don't know. But it's strange, because I know I am desired by many. Like, I have many guys, many... <laughs> buying my socks and just my socks. We'll leave it at that. We'll keep it PG. Why are you shaking your head, Indy? Unshake that head. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I agree. You do have a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, so what you're saying is... <laughs> let it out, Indy, oh, let it out. <laughs> yeah. Lifelong. But I, I'm getting old, Indy. I'm 34. I'm getting old. And the thing is, what really, really I held so close to me in this vanilla session with this 26-year-old at Manchester Pride. God, I hope he's not listening because that's the only person I hooked up with. (laughs) Anyway, was that I felt I was being enjoyed for my looks while I was young. Because I just think for everyone, what a shame it is to grow old and to have not been in a relationship. <laughs> I, can, I can hear myself, Indy, don't worry. Not being in a relationship. When your beauty is not at its prime. Imagine being enjoyed when you're young and beautiful. Look, I that, partly hear you. Yeah. But I also completely disagree. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. What on earth makes you think that youth and beauty are the only things that coexist? Why 
do I have so many younger men actively pursuing me as an older woman? I'm almost 40. And these sexual encounters, it's like, uh, you know, a one-off thing. Mm. And I love older, older women and older men. They've got a different beauty about them. Of course there's different beauty. I get that. Like intelligence and patience no. and kindness. No, and no, no. You're wisdom about- and emotional integrity. I'm just throwing words at you, Indy, to sound good. <laughs> I'm talking about physical qualities of an older person. I'm not talking about what qualities? Their physical qualities. Their silvery this- hair. Oh, silvery hair. I got these guys saying, <laughs> Oh my god, you got grey in your hair. I'm so like drooling over it. I'm like, what? This is a this is my problem as an indie. I just realized this is me and my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I look, I, I go around the streets. I don't go around the street. This sounds like I'm just looking at people. But when I walk around, I see these beautiful mid-20s, like 30-year-olds, just beautiful. And I think, wouldn't it be great to be with you? <laughs> <laughs> and it'll all be good. You know? Yes, they can be, they can have struggles and stuff. But it's just kind of like to be with you in that, moment in your life if i turn 50 in my 50s or 60s and i see a picture of my husband when he was 30 or 25 and just think wow i wish i love you now and that's why i married you johnny but i wish that i don't wish but wouldn't it have been beautiful to be with you in your biological prime that's why I'm stuck at the moment. And I can hear myself talk and I just think, oh, Michael, pull yourself together and start living your life. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to do the work there because that's exactly what I would say. Michael, I feel as though you're hitting up against a wall here. <laughs> Is that all you would say? You've been doing psychology for over a decade, and that's all you can say to me. No, no, give me a second. Um... (laughs) Open your manual, turn to page, what to do in. (laughs) Okay, I think partly, look, yes, youth and beauty, yeah, 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 whatever. We all get it. But it doesn't, it's not where things begin and end. I like, when I look at those, yes, of course, I also, I've had play with a young strapping 22-year-old. I've had plenty of Tinder encounters with the younger population. And (laughs) (laughs) in terms of sex, they're they're not practised. They don't know what they're doing. I've got, that's how I became a dominant is because I had to keep telling these young men how to actually please them. <laughs> Isn't that so, the cute part? Isn't that like, no. oh. No, it's a frustration. It's like, God damn it. Why can't you just intuitively sense and be in the moment? They're too porn addicted. I'm not going to go on rants here, but I could. <laughs> <laughs> Men of my vintage, the 40-year-olds, the you know, late 30s, early 40s, that vintage, I've actually now, I'm going to, I've got myself a challenge, Michael. 
I was inspired by this horrible, horrible. <laughs> it's hard to even admit, admit, but a reality TV show. Which one? Single Wives. <laughs> no. Matthew Hussey gives them all of this advice about how to approach men. Anyway, it got me thinking. Because as a woman, I'm just there going, oh, there's that hot guy. I wish he'd come over to me. Or I know I would never get that kind of attention. You know what I want to do? If I find a hot guy and it's not COVID, obviously, because right now it would be inappropriate, I'm going to walk up to him. If I find a hot guy, I'm going to say, hey, sorry to interrupt you. Just wanted to let you know I think you're attractive. And then walk away. Nice. Yeah. But aren't you just doing the very thing that you told me that life is, love is not what it's about, which is approaching someone because they're attractive? (laughs) Michael, life is full of contradictions. Deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) Might cut that out. Yeah. Actually, well, uh, I'm talking about anyone. It could be someone in their 40s. How do you know I'm thinking of someone? Because you're predictable, Indy. <laughs> oh, this joke gets nasty. <laughs> Michael, earlier I mentioned that I'm back into doing sessions. Mm. And it's taken an interesting turn. What we're doing is exploring this idea of cuckolding. And I had a really strong moment where it's a, it's a slave sub that I play with regularly, as I mentioned. and. I was sitting on my couch and he was on his knees. You just yawned. <laughs> I'm so like desensitized. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and he <laughs> and I started to talk about the cuckolding fantasies. And I took out my phone. This is a bit embarrassing to admit, but I did. And a lot of women will relate to this. We get sent dick pics. Mm. And so showing him the dick pics of other men Mm. and humiliating him, saying that he was nothing like what a strong real man looks like. Wow, I like that. And I'd move from one to the other and I'd say, see this man? He is a man, nothing like what your little tiny. And the thing is I say it's a clit. We refer to his down there region as his Mm. clit Mm. to emasculate him. Yeah, yeah. However, I'm now growing weary of that because mm. even a clip is great. <laughs> mm. So I'm having to think of some other word to refer to it. But, yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice to go into this whole area. And he's actually said to me that he would love for me to have a bull because it's actually because it's true that he cannot satisfy me in that way. I'm now exploring polyamory. I'm exploring consensual non-monogamy. Mm. Right now, because of COVID, I can't go out and get myself an actual bull. But I'm looking forward to exploring this dynamic more. That's really exciting, actually. Mm. I would love to be in that dynamic as the one to watch. I described a fantasy to this sub about him and I and a bull and what I'd said was that he would be in the corner of the room 
shoved right into the corner of the room, blindfolded, chastity cage on, whilst I'm there with the bull who's really taking charge and doing everything I want. Mm. And then I'll ask the bull to leave and I'll peg him, telling him just how much he's not a man anymore. Yeah. I want to do that in real life. <laughs> I think you can, indeed. I definitely think well, you can. We'll see in this season, depending on how things go in New South mm-hmm. Wales. Maybe so. Maybe I'll come back with a story about it. I was going to mention, like, I don't really watch porn much at all, but the if I do, one of the most watched is cuckolding. Mm. I find it very attractive. So, listeners, that's a nice short update of where Indy and I are at. This season is actually going to be really quite intense. We're going to be looking at different dynamics of shame and how this can be an instigator into why, at least myself and Indy, engage in BDSM. So, keep listening, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. My Kinksky, my Michael Inksky, my Kinks, Michael Kink. There's not enough editing to fix that problem. (laughs) (laughs) The problem of how your voice sounds. Should we roast each other right now? Roast? No, the audience isn't ready for that. They don't know. They wouldn't get the references. You bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just because you're scared of how well I'll do it and how, <laughs> how little you will be. Okay. Feeling. Yep. That's right. Have you got your licorice? Because <laughs> <laughs> you might need it, you know. Have you, have you got a shirt on this time? Maybe? The audience wants to see no shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, listeners, we're back on Rambles, which means we're going to be talking. Actually, this is where some of the most exciting stuff comes out. And some of the most boring crap. <laughs> <laughs> From you. From me. But I think <laughs> it might be quite exciting because, Indy, I just have, I finished a session with a sub on Saturday. Ah. Hmm. Ooh, I like that sound effect too. It gives it a bit of sparkle. Yeah. Well, I am sparkling my fingers. Listeners can't see it, but maybe it's just my personality that sparkles all the time. I don't know. You decide. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, so I met this um, guy on Saturday, which was great. Mm, I enjoyed what role it. Were you I was the Dom, the Alpha, ah. Superior, which is a role that I'm really stepping into, like really stepping into. I know last seasons we're sort of tentatively walking around that whole idea, but I really, the last six or seven months, I think a part of me has just given up on <laughs> being a sub because it's, I can't find anyone that I'm actually attracted to. And I think having this sort of closer introspective process, I'm, I'm more comfortable exploring different sides of me, put it that way. Yeah. Finally, it's happened. You've done what I thought you were going to do all along. <laughs> I wouldn't say, hap- say happening because it hasn't. I I'm not going to start. You know, one day, listeners, and indeed, I'll start the rambles or episode with 
Indy, I am now a Dom. <laughs> Tell us more about what happened on this Saturday. So this particular person, and I, I'm going to just sort of, um, I'm just going to go quite general details, just, you know, out of respect for privacy. But he uh, particularly liked the idea of be, ha- wearing worn clothes, holes, rips. Um, there's a belief there about being scruffy and looking scruffy. Mm, I like where this is headed. Mm. So he, he wanted to explore humiliation, that being pointed out, you know, parts of his clothes and holes, that being noticed, laughed at, pointed out. And um, that's what I did. So I went to his house. There was this definitely this sort of slave-master dynamic. And What happened when you first got in? <sighs> Whenever you have a first meet, I always tell the person that it, it's more about getting to know each other. I always think the first meet is good, but the second and third and the ones afterwards will be better because it, there is still the humanness of, oh, how does this person sound when he speaks? How do they move? How do you know when they're a bit nervous? When do you, when are you pushing the lines? You can't just walk in there. And I, I think you can't, I think dominatrix is, well, this is an idea in my head on TV. You see those dominatrixes whoosh, get into bed, bitch. And then the guy's like, oh, okay. And then they complete, take complete control. But for me, I, I go through a process where I'm just sort of sussing them out, taking in the really subtle tones of their behavior and using that to orient, orientate, to steer the, the direction of the session, mm. which I think all people who do this stuff do. Uh, but I think because I'm quite new to it, I'm taking extra special steps to really learn what their body is saying and go from there. So I'm taking a lot of effort for that. Can you give an example of what you were noticing and how it helps steer? Um, so an example would be, I think, eye contact and understanding if eye contact is something which is more about them not feeling comfortable or if it's something which they're just not used to or if it's, if it's because that they're not interested and they just want to get past the time. Uh, so this particular person didn't have much eye contact. And it took me a while, and I guess I'm not really completely sure of it. Uh, well, in the aftercare, which I, I messaged him afterwards, he said he really enjoyed the session. But during the session, the, the the eye contact that he gives, I was a bit unsure of if he wanted to be there or not, if he was enjoying it or not. So that all feeds into how I feel in the session. Like, am I being too harsh? Am I being too easy? Is he not what I expected? Or is he? Is it too much? Is it, is it, is it more than he expected? I can certainly relate to this because I've known times I've been a dom and had someone in for the first session. I think they struggle with eye contact, from what I can tell, hmm. because it is this dominant figure that they've built up in their heads, and usually as a lead up to the first session in texting. Hmm. So there's, there's a real heightened state therein. Yeah, it's hard for them to meet my gaze. But even if they have their eyes closed while they're worshipping you, like at your feet, when, they, when I'm not looking at them or I'm looking at the TV, if they have their eyes closed, then I can feel like, are they enjoying that? Or are they, are they just trying to get through this? Or do they, do they really like it? And that's just their style. Mm. Yeah, good on you, Michael. Nice. nice. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a good session. And it was one of the first times where I really felt comfortable humiliating and degrading. 
and trying to find out what really turns them on. Halfway through the session, I just asked him, have you done pup play, being a puppy? What prompted you to ask him that? Because it's, um, because it's been something that I've been interested and curious about. And also, yeah. I thought it was a, it's a really nice way to humiliate someone. Pup play cannot be about humiliation. It can be about complete obedience and servitude. And it might not be humiliating to the person. But for this guy, I thought this could actually really work, kind of give him a new character to be. And I asked mm. him, and he said he's never tried it. He would be open to it, but never tried it. So then I just started playing around. And this is my first time also doing pup play as a... I know I did it once as a slave, but as a master. And then we started to... Yeah. I started to like throw my sock and go, go fetch, fetch. And he'd go fetch. And then he would, and then he would grab it with his mouth and then bring it over. And I'd say, on your knees. And he'd go on his knees and have his little puppy paws. And I'd say, bark, bark. And it would be funny because it would be completely humiliating for him. Uh, he commented on that after the session, saying it was one of his highlights, and mine too. So it's just a really, it's, it was nice. It was really good to explore the, these paths. Michael, you're sounding like you're really in your element here as you're describing mm. this. I love it. <laughs> yes. Because I think I'm so familiar and curious and prepared for this power play dynamic. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, power play? All right, let's see. Let's do this. Like, I'm, I'm going there with with courage mm. and you've got an improv background i don't know how much we've really spoken yeah. about that but i'm sure that really helps just to quick indie word association plant grub red beetle <laughs> eat <laughs> yeah and that's why right. we never made it in improv <laughs> <laughs> But indeed, this isn't the um, this isn't everything. Oh, mm. what? <laughs> yeah, I I had this reoccurring experience when I was in this session, which was I would say to this guy, "Oh yeah, you want to worship an, an alpha? Uh, you want to worship someone more powerful, more superior?" And then he would say this, and many of the people I speak to would say this. They would say, no, I want to worship you. And I have this tendency of displacing the mm. dominant, which is, of me, afraid of saying, you want to worship me because I'm powerful, because I'm sexy, because I'm more alpha. And I'm not talking in the first person. It's really hard to talk in the first person. Fascinating. So I'm forcibly trying to do that, but it feels so, in a sense, disingenuous. So what goes on? Do you mean you feel like a fake or something? I still can't believe that I'm desirable. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I can believe it. I can believe it, but I don't feel it. Yeah, so there's a disconnect. Mm. And this is, okay, so in BDSM, all right, all right, Michael, you're a sub, you're pretending to be a dom, so all right, that makes sense. You don't believe you're a dom, so of course you'd feel that. But I was recently with a guy, this was yesterday, I was recently with a guy who I am casual with and have been for years, many, many years. We meet once every four or five months. 
we were watching films and we were cuddling and he would just like touch my fingers as you would do when you cuddle someone. And I found it really bizarre and uncomfortable in some way. It caused a lot of questions just thinking, why, why would you be like, you're touching my, like, why, why would you want to do that? I can relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a sense of feeling a bit like, why would they be doing this to me? It's like this arbitrary person Mm. that I am. Like, why would you do it? Why would this be any sort of, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. Mm. Like. You're just completely disconnected from the affectionate. Yeah. Feelings that are being bestowed upon you. Yeah. Like, why me? Why? Like, really? It's really it's a common thing that I, it's actually increasingly happened as time goes on. I think the the longs, the longer that I'm not in a relationship, this is getting more louder. And this guy, this casual guy, tells me, "Man, like you're so sexy and you're fit as fuck," and like he is not shy of saying how he feels about me in terms of appearance, at least. So I know it's so I so I believe him, but when the the touch and stuff happens, I just think, all right, I'll play along. <laughs> I used to get this when I was in the early stages of dating with people holding my hand. I'd find it so awkward in public. I just oh, what is going on? Just when will this end? Or oh, thank God I can. I used to use excuses like I need to readjust my handbag or. Oh, yeah. Because so be like, why would you be doing, like, it doesn't feel like it's genuine. Or it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense that you would be doing this. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Does this fall into the defectiveness and shame schema? I think it, I think it does. Because as, as you and I have kind of started to uncover in this season, in the early stages of our kind of our blueprinting for connection, there isn't that secure, attuned someone there when you're having emotions and interested and leaned in kind of experience, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Because in a way it's a lot to ask that parents are continuously able to be there for you or the majority of time be able to be there for you how you need. Now that is a big ask. And so I think that means when you're feeling these, in adulthood, these these displays of affection, they don't feel to seem like they fit. Oh. But particularly if they're, because I know that I've had it when it's a moment when, say, I don't know, I was on an aeroplane and I was feeling scared and a boyfriend came over, leaned over, gave me a, a hug and kind of held my hand tightly. I just thought, okay, well, this is happening, but very disconnected from it. Oh. Yeah. I do think it's more common than than we think. It's just very strange. I think another side to it though is that maybe we're projecting ourselves onto them. Because I know that for me, I would struggle with 
maybe genuinely being there for someone else in that way and feeling as though I can really let go into a real sense of connected care with someone else. Mm. So maybe when someone does that for me, I just can't relate to it because I struggle with it. Yeah. I assume these things change with time. You know, the more you're around the person, the more familiar you become, the more you trust them, things start having a bit more gravity. Yeah, I think so. Enough about me, though, Indy, as I feel uncomfortable with this affectionate attention. <laughs> thing. How have you been? What's, what's new with you? I have a confession to make. I knew you ate the biscuits. As always, it's always me. I'm dumb, dumb. Anyway, I think I started to talk about in this season about how I'm just completely uninterested in dating, BDSM, who cares about the whole thing anymore. And I was genuinely just going about my business and feeling actually, to be honest, a sense of real deep relief and a sense of freedom because I haven't been on my phone constantly. When you've got a lot of slaves on the go, you've got a lot of texting to do. And thinking ahead about the next session and all that kind of stuff. So I felt really quite good in myself thinking, mm, this is, I've hit upon something now. Just get rid of BDSM and I'll be at peace. Now, big disclaimer, I have been on some antidepressant medication that has been in parallel to this sense of being over BDSM. And when I'm on antidepressants, my sex drive plummets into nothingness. And so recently I decided to come off them again and lo and behold, my sex drive is back. Oh, yay, season four. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's looking that direction, Michael. It's looking that direction. And I'm in my sexual peak. I'm almost 40. God, this is the time of a woman's prime. Adolescent male, I've been wanking like three times a day again. <laughs> Crazy. Three times. Who has time for that? I swear. Don't quick. tell me when. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> I'm not telling you anything. I can just be very quick. I'm just going to get it over and done with. Mm. Sometimes it feels like that. Other times not. Anyway, why are we getting into this? So, as my increase of interest has occurred, so has my openness to BDSM. To the point now where, for the first time, I'm saying it again out loud. I've downloaded the dating apps. Yay, season five. <laughs> <laughs> 3 a.m. phone call. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, but I'm in a weird place now about this, Michael, because as I say, I really have enjoyed the break. It's been really good to not have to think about all of this. And there's suffering and torment involved with BDSM. There was a guy I was seeing for about a year, submissive, and we just stopped talking, literally just mm. stopped. That happens and a lot in this community. I'm just going to quickly digress. I was speaking to a guy two weeks ago, obsessed, mm. obsessed, please, I want to serve you, blah, blah, blah. I'll even send money to show you I'm serious. He sent money, never heard from him again. Mm. Well, this is a year. This was a year of play. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite regular as well. Yeah, so that was strange. And then, however, I felt relief that I felt quite grateful that he wasn't texting me because I know I'd kind of just fall back into it for the sake of it. 
And so I'm in a bit of a torment because now as I'm putting the dating back dating app back on my phone, there's a hook back into my phone, whereas mm. for the past weeks I've had hours go by where I haven't thought about my phone at all, and it's been great. Yeah. A half day can go by and I'll go, oh, that's right, I better just see what's going on, or a whole day. I don't care. I just don't need to do it. But now, just as I've started the dating apps, it's like, oh, there was that guy. I wonder what his response is. And let me go back and check. And it's also this time of year. So as we're recording this, we're at the week of Christmas. Mm. So there was a bunch of conditions that came together. It was the sex drives come back. I'm a single parent with a young child with all this nostalgia and grief about family. I see what I'm doing. <laughs> Missing the idea of connection, getting burnt out as well. Just really want someone else here to help out. Yes, because you are a single mother and you work a lot and your job is psychologist. Like it's not just punching numbers into a computer. You are sitting with people intensely. So burnout makes complete sense. Which is part of the conditions of what's driven me back onto the dating apps. I can tell you an example, a really clear one. For a while, I would walk past guys and particularly, you know, the sort of more tall, thicker, mus not muscular, but sort of sturdy types, and I'd look at them and I'd go, ugh, what was I, what the hell was I, just, ugh. And then as this has all started to come back, I'm looking at those same figures walk by and there's this real tinge there's this real grab. Hmm. And it's it's honestly a, a real weird thing because I can feel on one level, oh, yeah, this is biological and, of course, it makes sense with everything I've just been describing. But then on a, another level, I feel disheartened with dating completely now so that, well, what's ahead of you, Indy, is a lot of anxiety, ups and downs because it's all of this insecure attachment stuff. Does he like me? Am I good enough? So we're covering all of this in this season as well. It all just stirs up that part of me, which is that that defective shame part of me that suddenly I put into the middle of this other person a kind of huge privilege of being able to judge me and my self-worth. So it just goes completely up and down. Mm. So I can see that. It's going to all play out. So then I'm... Then I'm left then actually stepping back again and going, well, do I even, I'm really on the sidelines. I'm, I'm just sitting on this sideline now. But I've got to say, when I think about sessions and I'm hearing you talk about the scruffy guy and the fun you're having, I've got a, I've got a nice big box of toys that I have not played with in a long time. Mm. Spreader bar, handcuffs, whip. Mm. Riding crop, all that, all that really wax play, wax strips, you know, wax the hair off guys and Jesus. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it does sound like you're in a bit of a hard place, but also when you get it, it's so much fun. When you do find someone that you can be casual with and just, it is a lot of fun. Does the, is it worth it? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it worth all this anxiety of what if and they just can never believe me in it? Yes, it is. <laughs> the difficulty I find myself in, though, is that as the Dom, and particularly now in this season when we're uncovering what's really happening with me psychically, is I can just see I'm, I'm really beholden to this sub and what he might say that makes me feel good about myself and feeling worshipped. And I can see back to this time when I was all on this big, huge Dom frenzy and getting guys to give me boxes of chocolates and drop at my feet. And on one level I was really enjoying it and thinking, yeah. But then on another level I just I can't help but think these were just incredibly horny men wanting to replay porn, essentially. I know that sounds cynical, but that's what I think it was. And that all that does is refeed my sense of defectiveness and self-worth, which means, Indy, you're, you're just doing something that is a guy's wish fulfilment from pornography. I had a guy contact me a couple of days ago. I've not had any guys contact me for this block of time I've been off all of this stuff, but a guy that I've been se- seeing on and off for the last year or two was just into this whole, hey, how are you? He knows that I'm Dom, so he was trying to fish for me to get Dom with him. And I could see he was just really horny. He just wanted me to go into the sex talk so that he could get off. Like, really? Is this what I want to be doing with my time? I think it's about perspective because what you're putting forward, I think a lot of uh, sex workers, that might be too official, but sex workers may feel, like strippers and prostitutes, they may feel used and, okay, these guys are just coming, they're getting off on this on me and this idea and moving on and perpetuating this cycle. Like I think that's a very common thought within the industry, but I think the perspective, there can be a perspective shift. I don't know what it is exactly, but I think where your headspace is at, given the conditions you're at and the, your history, your past history, it can look more cynical and... Um, what's the word? Depressive? Mm. Yeah, and put it this way, I've been, I've got a new puppy and I've been walking past this car mechanic. There's this guy who the puppy we runs in. and finally see. get to George. Oh, <laughs> that's right. We finally get to George. <laughs> anyway, the puppy runs in, they do this whole thing, and at first I was, I didn't even see the guy. I just saw the hands reaching down to the puppy and just like, meh, all right, fine, let's move on. Get out, come on, Max, let's get out. Max is the name of my puppy. And then increasingly as the medication wore off, I actually started to see this guy and thought, oh, he's quite, he's actually really good looking. And then I could see this whole projection I put onto him of, oh, he's got really friendly, kind eyes and look at how he holds the puppy that shows me this and that about him and look at his big, strong arms. I can tell he works out, so that must mean this and that and the other. And (laughs) I could see my thoughts running away into this whole Mm. big fantasy. And that has, you know where that's gotten me every other time in my life? I, I wish that I could still be in fairy tale land and be one of those infatuated types that can just run away with their their feelings of lust. I just can't do it now. In Indy, you can see what you're doing. This is just <laughs> complete delusion and crap. 
I feel bad because I wonder if I'm ever going to really get past all this burnt husk of cynicism <laughs> I've become. Not, not with that attitude. Yeah. I, I think he'll become the George of your jungle soon. What? <laughs> he may become the George of your jungle. <laughs> George, George of the jungle, the Tarzan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that crashed and failed. There's something indie about BDSM and being with someone, even if they are using you in that, that pornographic way, there's something about knowing the skill of how to tap into someone's fantasy and being with a person. Forget man, white, you know, middle class, forget that. But being with a person and stepping into their fantasy, like they chose you. And they can easily just move away. And they, they do, they, you know, as both of us know, they do move away eventually. But You're not they, really selling this right now. <laughs> they, they select you because the words you say, the way you look, are enough to be within their world, their fantasy. And I think it's an incredible skill. I felt so privileged to be able to step into this guy's fantasy the other day and become that persona as a bit of human play. I'm not looking for long-term relationship with this person but to have that skill of entering into fantasy into someone else's world into the most deepest vulnerable places of a person i think is an incredible thing to have yeah it is pretty awesome you're right and i love learning about the person and being there with them in that moment it is so intimate most of these people don't tell their partner most people don't friends and family it's such an intimate, animalistic, completely off the radar place to be in. And if they're using me, I'm using them as well. You know. <laughs> and on that note, listeners, it has been fantastic. Next episode, we will now be going into Indy's world. Your relationship, <laughs> your family. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Are you ready, Indy? Oh, I'm going to have to be. We're going to do it. I've got to put on my seatbelt to help me not run out of my chair. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, listeners. Take care. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, if you would like to find out more, you can through our website, bdsmreimagine.com. Take care. I can. Who's this? It is the Easter Bunny. <laughs> oh, because it's Easter, isn't it? That's, That's right. a nice way to mark the episodes because I think listeners think that we're talking about it and feeling it that week. But really, it's recorded like months at the track. Yeah, so this could be released at Christmas and it's already. Mm. Yeah. Well, it'll be released, I think, around July our records going but we could be in a completely different headspace indie we could be where like move to dubai you're this <laughs> professional dominatrix whipping people i'm this well i don't know what i am even now so i'll just be this question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is that why you're all like don't worry i don't i don't know what i'm saying oh <laughs> <laughs> just a description of how a question mark is Anyway. Oh, yeah, the question mark, the way it's curved and shaped is a question.
Ah, touche. Indy. My kioscos. This is our last episode for the season. <gasps> what? <laughs> That's your trademark now, isn't it? <laughs> well, our last official. We may have some rambles afterwards, but um, we shall see. Time will tell. Only time will tell. Exactly. Are we still using words like space and time? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and the. <laughs> the. <laughs> Determiners like the and a. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's so 1997. <laughs> 97? <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've been talking for three minutes, Indy. We need to get straight into it because, you know, I, when I listen to podcasts, I just think, get into it. Like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are talking about how did we end up here? Why did we end up here? What ended up here? Whatever. You're just going through the who, what, when, where, why, aren't you? <laughs> so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> so to do this, we're going to give you a snapshot of where we both are. And then one by one, we will be talking about how we got to this place. So, Indy, where are you at now? Where I am now is having been in the BDSM scene for a few years, I have explored a lot, done a lot. There's obviously still more to go. But at the current point in time, I find myself loath to look at dating apps, fetish sites, and the, the very prospect of arranging a session and having it happen makes me feel uninspired. To add to this, I'm actually also now at a point where I don't even want to date, let alone I don't want vanilla, I don't want kink, I don't want anything. I'm done with the whole thing. That's where I'm at. To start, Indy, I think we need to go back further because I know that your kink journey started soon after your separation, which is what we've discussed in our episodes. But I wonder why this kink part of you sort of exploded at this point in time what was there? Was there something prior to this, uh, even within the marriage or before that, that you think could have instigated, could have set up the dots for it to all connect at that point? So I, I guess I, to set the scene, I was very straight-laced. When I was in relationships, when I started relationships, I'd grown up with conditions that were very Christian and very, very conservative around sex, masturbation, all that kind of stuff, we were not really able to talk about boys or date. If, if my dad had found out that I was dating as a teenager, he would have killed me. It was that kind of level. And this idea that you could even have sex before marriage was f- heavily frowned upon. And so when I first started my dating life, which we've covered here, from a different angle, what was going on is that I was very beholden to the Christian ideals of save yourself, virginity is purity, all that sort of stuff. And so how my dating started is I was actually saving myself for marriage. The first relationship I was in, it took two years into that before I ended up having sex for the first time. 
we were doing other things, of course, but two years in. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and after that relationship, the other relationships that I had, we wouldn't be getting into any fooling around and definitely not any sex for the first three to six months. So I was one of those girls who would hold back, take their time, no, okay, after three dates. It was after three dates I was still wrapping my head around whether I liked you, let alone, no, I wouldn't have had sex with you. Crazy. So sex was heavily moralised. Oh, yeah. Riddled with Christian guilt as well. And so when I finished my marriage up and I started to go on these dating apps, this was the first time in my life I had ever slept with someone beyond having known them for months and months on end with deep conversations, building up of trust, the whole shebang. Mid-30s. Ah, I'd say late 30s. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember the first time I met a guy from a dating app, I called you up, it was Halloween, and we'd gone to the park and he and I had walked around the park and I'd found him attractive And then I'd come home and I'd said to you, I don't know what to do. And he said, just message him and say that you're interested. And so he came over that afternoon, later that afternoon, we had sex. And to me, that was the wildest, craziest thing I'd ever done. I'm already in my my late 30s. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And it took me a long time to recover from that first encounter because I thought, what? how could he have had sex with me and then just moved on like that? To me, sex and intimacy and love were a triangle. They, they were interlinked. And I could not understand how you could have sex with someone, have good sex with someone who seemed like a good person, or at least, you know, you could explore further to see if they were a good match. I, I just had not ever separated sex from everything, all the other parts of the triangle. Hmm. And so a big, big shift in me was when that marriage ended and I started to go on these dating apps more frequently, what partly was going on was a huge reaction against what felt like a very, what's the word I'm trying to find? A very, yes, that's the one. (laughs) Yeah, so what I was trying to do is partly break away from an incredibly suffocating marriage so my huge sex drive and this intense desire to have a whole lot of sex was a reaction to that. But it was also partly a complete sexual revolution because I had never been able to disentangle sex from guilt or sex from love mm. and even sex from a sort of preciousness or sacredness. Mm. And what happened in those months where I would see literally one, two, three men a week, all new men each and every week for weeks and weeks and weeks, <laughs> is it, it gradually eroded that triangle to the point where only two or three months ago I went on a, on a date with a guy. He was seemingly kinky, so we went for a walk. And then when we got back, I invited him over and I thought, yeah, we're just probably going to have, we kind of have sex and then I don't know what. But we didn't actually have sex. And to me that was like, what? 
Mm. I was shocked that we didn't. And then the thought never even occurred to me that it was maybe a good thing to hold off because I was actually keen on this guy. And then I struggled to hold off the second time we met, we had sex, even though I told myself, actually, Indy, this time it would be good to hold back, you know, maybe take your time here and see if you can do the whole three date thing. I couldn't do it. But why, okay, why the kink? Why not just casual sex? What do you mean, why the kink? Well, why dominatrix? Why did you want to lock men up and inflict pain on them consensually? Why that? (laughs) Why after the two months of separation, after being separated, you didn't just go into casual, normal, traditional, typical penetrative, penetrative sex? Why did you go towards the other stuff? Well, okay, so partly I was actually just doing vanilla casual for a while, but I did then start to feel a part of me awakening. And I don't know how to explain it other than that. I just knew there was something in me that needed to come out and it became much more graspable when I was having sex and I felt like I was making requests and I was the one who was driving the direction. Because another layer here is that when I've had sex up until this phase, I had been very vanilla, hold back, don't really talk about my preferences too much, not be very outright with what I like, not even had enough experience with my body to know what I like. So this whole vanilla time I'd become much more aware of my preferences And so I got to a point where they became more distilled enough that I could be very clear in what I wanted. And I'd had enough sexual partners to know the kinds of things that were good or not so good for me. And so there was a part of me that increasingly, I guess, became in touch with my sexual needs and desires. Mm -hmm. And then it was just fortuitous that I was having sex with a lot of younger men and the dynamic there would be, Younger man with an older woman, older woman knows her body really well. Younger man is happy to take direction and defer to her expertise in her own body. And I really liked that dynamic. And I was also starting to do things in sex, vanilla sex, that were much more kind of gearing towards femdom stuff, like face sitting and being on top and stuff like that. Because I I guess I just knew my equipment. I, I just started to get my to know my equipment really well. Mm. Was there any part of it that was trying to do payback to all these men and experiences that you had? I think part of it was a payback in a sense that I was or reclaiming power over men. I think that's more what it was. I think that what yes. So what emerged increasingly is that. I didn't know what I didn't know. So all this time I'd been in vanilla relationships, the sex had been really average to bad, and I didn't even know that it had been that bad. And part of what made it bad was that it's very much deferring to the guy's sexual preferences and needs. And a good lover, as a female, a, quote, good lover, is one who will, oh, I really want to do this thing. And then even if you really don't feel like doing it, you do it anyway because you know they're going to really like it. And that's Mm. fine to some extent. You're going to do that because your lover does have different preferences. But I'm talking about stuff I was really hesitant to do, I would do. 
And I don't think I'm the only woman. I think there are many women out there because of the porn industry. The porn industry has really radicalised and extreme, extremified, if that's a word, sexual acts. And so that's what a lot of women face is men requesting these very extreme versions of sexual acts. Mm. Just the other week, just the other week, I had a guy come over. This was a complete one-off, agreed one-night stand. He came into the room. We started to do it all. And he said he wanted to finish on a particular part of my body. And I said, I'm not comfortable with that. And because he was so horny and he was really into it and wanting to keep going, he then only seconds later asked again the same question. And the old me would have succumbed to that and thought, oh, well, I mean, if he really wants it, I guess I should. And even if I don't really like it, it'll only be short time. And whereas now and with everything I've experienced and because I know what my limits and boundaries are better, because of having been dom. I have. I was very clear with. I'm. I'm not going to do that. And I broke away from the connection. And I asked him to put his clothes on and leave. Yeah. So the dominant. Where the dominant threads in. I know that this is the other background that's really more focused on vanilla. Where the dominant starts to thread in is that, as a woman. A lot of women are not dominant. I have gotten tons of feedback that men find it rare to find a woman who's dom. And I think part of that is because women do not get to have the experience that I've just described of both a sexual revolution from whether it's Christian guilt or other views around sex, but then also a disentanglement with sex and love, which for women I think is or some men or whatever, I think it's it's hard to disentangle them. And because I was in a situation where I had been able to do that, I was then in a position where I could be much more aware of my sexual needs, limits and interests and actually then become more dominant because my preferences were more clear. Mm. I think that's another way of putting dominance is just being really clear on what you want. Yeah. And if women are in situations where they're trying to please their partner and there's a whole dynamic of love there and all, the, all these other dynamics that might muddy the water, then that's, that dominance is much harder to find. And then what you were saying about payback, that's another thread through here because what I did start to realise is, oh, there's all these things that I've done that I didn't really want to do and all these ways I've been as a sexual partner which has just been more of deference. And I I felt like a pendulum swung the complete other direction. And I wanted to, I wanted to make up for it. I wanted to go to a place where I wasn't the one who was just being requested to do things and doing them and going in this direction or doing that. I wanted to be the one who was driving it. I wanted to have what I wanted done because so often and so much of what my experience had been, been the opposite of that. It's interesting when you disentangle the, the, that triangle of love, sex, and intimacy, when you, when you just can operate on the sexual corner, it's largely about power because it kind of falls into that old saying is that all of life is about sex, except for sex, sex is about power. 
So if you can actually cut those other two corners off, love and intimacy, and just play within sex, power came through your experience. And the, the power that yours, the sex that you had, had a power which was informed by lots of your past prior um, circumstances. And you wanted to, as we said before, reclaim some of that power, which you, I assume, felt you'd lost within your sexual and relationship history. So I wonder if that dominant side came out through there as well. Yeah, I think that's a big part of what happened. So another angle I wanted, so another perspective I wanted to bring in is that the dominance was also a culmination of a pendulum swing against femininity and being feminine and female. Mm. What happens when you're a female in this world is that you, you're really uh, drawn to being harmonious, being in conversations. I've, I've seen it happen a lot of times in, say, group conversations that women hold back, their voices are uh, not as strong as a male voice in the room. But no, and, I, and I know that's not always the case, but yeah, no. generally speaking, Generally speaking, women's voices are kind of a bit less heard or it's when there's men and women in the room, it's often men who'll dominate the conversations. So there is a big part of it that is also about embracing the masculine and being able to be that dominant force, that overbearing force, the assertive Mm. in the room when when I'm in the room and the man's in the room, usually with vanilla sex, there's just this instantaneous dynamic which assumes defaults that he's in control, he's in charge, it's his way. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted to flip that on its head and I wanted to be the one who comes in the room and I'm in charge. Mm. I'm in control. And I think there's men who would agree with that because they feel that there is that dynamic and that's why they, some men want to be submissive is because they want to give back that power to the feminine and they want to submit to that. Because they, I think lots of men, straight men, probably don't feel what they've been given. Oh, no, because you're a straight man, you're entitled to the power and the direction of this sex. And they also don't agree with that in some way. I don't know why I have oh, yeah. power. And therefore, it's a way of them giving back or rebalancing that power within them. Strangely, it cuts through the con- the social construction of male-dominated society and hierarchy. They intu- intuitively sense that there's something not right here in the society we live in on an instinctual level, and they cut through. want to cut through that, and it comes out through their sex play. I'm going to worship the feminine and the woman. Very fascinating. I've had many submissive men say exactly that. Mm. And I've had them even say that they struggle to have vanilla sex and feel incredibly uncomfortable in the dominant role or have not even been I've one man I came across has never been able to be dominant and has never had never had sex 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 with a woman because he feels so guilty well I don't know if it was guilt he just said he couldn't do it he he felt like It wasn't him. Yeah. 
And then, and then they can turn to being homosexual because they think, well, maybe that's where I should be. And there's a warped idea about that. And they're like, am I gay? Or like, if I don't have sex with a woman, then I must be into it. So, oh. but Indy, you mentioned that at the moment. And again, this is the start of our recording. And again, this is like where we started recording in the, and again, this is similar to where we at when we began recording the third season is you're completely disillusioned, broken even, by the whole system, the whole game, the whole thing. We've alluded to reasons why, but is there anything you want to say about that now and how you got to this place? Yeah, I'm incredibly disillusioned. I've spent time now enough on dating apps where I just see the same cycle playing out over and over again. And I see me and the difficult parts of me in that. I want to start with that because often we we forget. I I will have someone message me on a dating app, seem really keen. I'll engage in a conversation because I'm horny and I'll ask all these questions and it will turn sexual very quickly. And I'm always curious, what do you like? What's your fetish? What's, what's your turn on? Because I'm in the mood. And then they're answering questions. They're getting activated. And then I might leave the conversation and then never reply again, despite this person maybe following up with me two, three times. What's happening there? I've moved on to someone else because I've got three, five, seven conversations all going at once and someone else has been more interesting. Or I've gotten to the point where I'm not horny anymore and it's a week of other things that are a focus and I just can't be bothered. Or I look back and I see that I haven't messaged this person and then I just feel bad about it. I don't want to even see it, so I just quickly delete them so it gets out of my mind. This is the honest truth. So I don't like the version of myself that I'm becoming. I'm cultivating this side of me that's increasingly losing empathy towards others and their genuine experience of connection it goes two ways though they i think on their end as well they're not hoping that you're going to message back i think they also move on to something else or they get burnt out by the whole date picking process you know i I think it's on both ways which makes it even harder yeah i think that's true however there are times like for example i currently have one guy i messaged i think it's now two weeks ago and i keep going back to check And I keep going, oh, I'm disappointed that he hasn't replied. Why hasn't he replied? So often you do move on, but then there are these particular connections. So I I get disheartened on that other end too, where this conversation begins, it it seems to go really well, you have some things in common, okay, it looks like we're going to meet. And then it just did, just dead silence. Yeah, yeah. Another thing I'm doing is I've only really become aware of this recently is that I've lost interest in small talk, like where where are you from, what do you do for work? I just feel like I'm going through the motions of just Mm. to get to the point of sex and then it becomes interesting. But then by doing that, it's like I corrupt. I feel like I'm corrupting something that could have been really beautiful because I haven't even met this person yet. 
And this is a, the whole, how did I end up here? How did I go from being someone who waited months, two years before having sex to not even meeting someone and having repeated conversations about sex and then not even meeting them or meeting them once and then that's it, I'm done, moving on to the next one. How did I end up here? (laughs) I think a large part of how is social media and dating apps. It's a huge part of the conversation. This fast-paced, high-adrenaline, instant gratification society has really short-wired our brain system, neurocircuitry, to just keep wanting the next best thing. And we don't even get a chance to sink into something which could be exactly what we need, but we're just next, next, next. I don't even think it's next best. It's just next. What? (laughs) (laughs) Because... It's just about I want to get the person to reply to me. I want to find out those things that I want to find out, and then I'm done. Mm. I'm going to find out the same from someone else. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go through the motions of the small talk. Sometimes I don't even do that. My first question might be, what are your turn-ons? Yeah. And I'll get close to the gay world. (laughs) You finally caught up. So here's an example of something a bit sad around all of these points that we're making. I spoke to a guy the beginning of the week. All of what we're saying was happening. You get through the small talk or if it happens or not, and then we dived straight into both of our deep, dark sexual fantasies, our fetishes, our kinks. We both got horny. We spoke for probably about an hour, two hours, and then it ended with, yeah, let's meet up. And so we said we'd meet up by the end of the week. The next day he contacts me again and he says, he just sends through this message that says, oh, I've watched porn on that thing that you really like just because I was curious. And at that point I was in a phase of why did I do that? I shouldn't have just gone straight to sex. And I felt like I've ruined this connection. Like that's the that's the basis from which I'm talking to this person. Yeah. If I was going to date them, this is the basis. And I was completely turned off. So I didn't reply for six hours. And then when I did, I just said, oh, yeah, ha, ha, ha. And he got the hint. We didn't talk at all. We, we were going to, we'd arranged a time and date for the, the time we'd meet. We didn't talk at all. And then on the day, I completely forgot. And he sent me a message and said, oh, sorry, I can't meet up today because I'm feeling sick. <laughs> Here I am thinking that you're not getting enough people. I didn't know that you... Uh, organizing they're quite keen and then you end it indie i'm yeah docked this is a recent thing i have gotten to a point where i get horny i talk all this sex talk stuff yeah and then i get to i get to the stage where i realize no this isn't a good way to start dating because i'm increasingly in a weird way i'm trying to go back to indie 2001 you know version waits for six months it's like how did i do that i want to be able to do that again somehow you're going back on the pendulum yeah i'm going back on the pendulum but i can't that's the thing is i'm trying but i can't you can date someone with a high sexual start why do you think that's impossible i think it's a fantastic way to start it's not fantastic but it's not sorry it's not the best way necessarily all the time but you can start with a highly sexed charge of course you can 
Okay, well, that might be in your world, but so far for no. me, every time no, that's you happened. you stop, Indy. You stop. <laughs> and you have to take a hard look at what you're saying. <laughs> because you can. You can turn it around. You message him now. Listeners, this is live. She's messaging him. It's going to be a love story in the making. <laughs> <laughs> and he seems like a really nice guy. Indy, what are you doing? Yeah, message him and just say, hey, look. I think- I was being, you messaged him after this, like to real Yeah, people. I did. I did message him. I did. I said, I hope you're feeling better. No. <laughs> hey, sorry about last week. I was in the funny headspace. I'll still be really keen to meet you. And I, yeah. I promise to, like, I'll. And I promise to commit something like that. Do you want me to draft another one of your messages, Indy, like I always do? <laughs> and also, the second thing which I'm annoyed about is I'm learning to avoid all of this, which is, are you okay? You have a shocked look on your face. <laughs> the second thing is, I say I'm not into horny chat. When I know, when I clock on that they are getting off, they're actually joking off, and they're talking to me about their fantasies. I just say anyway. I'm not into horny chat. I'm only interested in actually meeting. And that tells you the direction of where they're going. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's meet in two days' time. No. No. Yeah, so I didn't realise you were, you'd cut the horny talk yeah. short. Oh, completely. Really? You notice, of course, yeah. I get so many men messaging me saying, oh, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, many people would want to worship my feet, something like that. And then I'm just, And then they start, oh, how big is it? Do they smell? Uh, are they smooth? And I'm like, okay, enough of the horny t- chat. We either meet or we don't. Because, and it happened twice this morning before we had this call, because they start getting off and, and they, oh, I'll show you a face picture in a moment. I'm like, no, block me or I'll block you. That's what I said to this one guy and he blocked me. <laughs> because I'm not wasting my time letting men get off from fantasies whilst promising to me. I get if they're not going to wanting to meet and they would just want to have horny chat. Let's say that. Let's be honest about that. But if they say, yes, we'll meet in two or three days' time or a week, but let's dig into our fantasies. What are you into? What are you into? I'm like, I'm going to cut that short. Because if you haven't met within three days, it's never going to happen. Yeah, you see, the thing is, I've been one of those willing participants in the horny chat. Oh, me too. It doesn't care. Yeah. There's certain guys that you meet that you think, actually, I would like to meet you, and you make the fucking effort. <laughs> <laughs> I should have my own little side Hold show. On. Like, Michael tells there, what it is. <laughs> there is an important detail here that we haven't talked about, which is this guy openly said to me that he'd just gotten out of a big-term, long-term relationship. Uh, yep. He wasn't sure if he was looking for anything serious. So that's a big part of why yeah, that it's just sense. me. But, but still, still, if you like someone, you like someone. Listeners, just to summarise, I think where we've gone with this episode is really at the beginning of my life there was this sense of conditions around sex that were really layered with moralising sex from that Christian lens but also the whole idea of being female and the femininity And so these different layers were carrying through in my experience of sex. 
to the point where, as we said in this first relationship, there was that triangle of sex and intimacy and love around all of these different layers. Now, when the marriage ended, it's almost like the floodgates opened up and all of that was able to be thrown out the window in this kind of sexual revolution. And within that time, I increasingly was able to become clear on my needs and wants, i.e. dominant, and that whole part of me was able to express itself. But then, in getting to that, in terms of all the dating apps, there was so much going on with what I think all of us experience in dating apps with these different dynamics of being horny or not, which then led to me feeling very disheartened and feeling as though I almost wanted to go back to where I began. Thank you, Indy. Listeners, stay tuned because the next part, we've decided to uh, do this in two parts. The next part, I'll be talking about how I got to where I am. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. Take care, listeners. And we're back on part two. Woohoo! Yeah, hi, you, Michael. I'm looking forward to this because I want to know. I want to know, I want to know. Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> Where I'm at now. So right now I am uh, quite present on the online world and I am sort of selling items of clothing, mainly socks, often. Used socks. How often? Oh, every second week. Like every, there's no shortage. I've actually sold the next two months. <laughs> I've had to put a stop on the amount of people. Um, <laughs> I'm also engaging in a lot of DS sessions where I meet people, mainly as the Dom, and I am enacting fantasies that they have. And I never sort of saw myself in this position, especially doing it as a dominant, where so prevalently I've been telling everyone I'm submissive and I do still feel submissive. Michael, as you're talking, I'm just wondering, are you a submissive in dominance clothing? Because you're talking about providing men with indulging their fantasies. That sounds like what a submissive might do in a, in a weird kind of way. Aren't you a submissive dom? Yeah, I think that that's what's happening is uh, the submissive part of me has learnt a way to try and please the person in front of me. And if that means being a dominant, or acting as a dominant, then so be it. <laughs> wow. So you are really taking this on. Like you found you found something that, because all this time you've said to me, I've never been able to find a dom. So good on you in a way. You found something that works. Well, well <laughs> okay, it works on some levels. There are people I'm meeting where I actually do really enjoy having that dominant persona. And it is authentic in that in that way. The way I sort of justify it is that I do feel like a jock. I do feel like that athletic type. And if we are talking about the BDSM realm, there is a hierarchy there. And jocks sit up high on the hierarchy. For me, in my own hierarchy, chavs are at the top. And I will mm. submit to them. But I'm not going to feel 
I, don't, I actually don't submit to men who are on different levels, as it were. You know, I'll submit to a jock. I'll submit to a chav. I wouldn't submit to a nerd, quote, you know, or um, bear, otter, you know, all these sort of labels we give ourselves in this community. Why would you not submit to those types? I'm not attracted to them. And I think my submission, the, the part of the submission I'm interested in, needs to be, if I want to submit to someone, I need to be highly attracted to them. I'm a highly aesthetic driven person when it comes to sex. So what about the people you dominate? Do you have to be highly attracted to them to dominate them? No, not at all. What? I get aroused, but I'm not attracted to them per se. I'm attracted to the, the psychology that's happening between us. Well, that's interesting because you, you've just said that you're a highly aesthetic person, yet you're also a highly psychological person. I'm highly aesthetic in the need to submit to someone. Ah, okay. So it's solely that where there's aesthetic priority got it so how did i end up here i think what's important is to mention that the sessions i engage in have come about because of social media and putting up this persona on social media and i think mm. that's we need to talk about that and how that came into place for me to get to this place because without the instagram kink profile then i wouldn't be in this position that per se i wouldn't have access to this many people I've got a question there, Michael, because I remember for a long time you had hesitance about ever signing up to Instagram. How did that change? It all began with, so I, when I came to London, I was 26 and I was searching for chavs. Oh my God. That's one of the reasons I came to London. I want to find a chav. <laughs> that and that guy that I completely fell in love with. <laughs> I forgot his name already. <laughs> Like, I'm going to find chavs and it's going to be amazing. Now, London has the least amount of chavs in England because it's such a multicultural city. There's none here. <laughs> it was a big mistake. I should have moved to, like, Newcastle or Manchester or, you know, outback Midlands. But there was no chavs. But I was searching for it. And then I entered Buddhism. Mm. And within Buddhism, uh, I had a really great experience with Buddhism. But how I got into the Instagram world was there was a moment at the end of my Buddhist phase. As you know, I moved into a community where I lived with Buddhists for several months, just us 12, I think it was, 10 or 12. But I really resisted the whole experience. Like I didn't, for a number of reasons, it was not the right move per se. And I got to these places of real despair and anger in the night times nights where I would just be in absolute terror and rage and anger. So let me get this right. You've moved into a Buddhist community. You're a raging Buddhist, yet there's this part of you that's deeply conflicted and you're having nights where you just don't know why you've decided to move in with 12 Buddhists. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did know why I wanted to move in, but didn't know why I was having such a reaction against it. Yeah, right. So what happens here is very interesting and I knew at the moment it happened mm. in a way to try and alleviate that stress and tension I turned my laptop on and I just discovered this game and started playing and this was the only time that I didn't think about the situation I was in what was so the I game Dota 2 so if any of you know Dota 2, please DM me and just say, yes, I love that game. And I still play it to this day. I played it about two hours this morning. 
Now, I was heavily addicted to online gaming as a teenager, World of Warcraft, yeah. And I stopped gaming altogether in my like early 20s. It just it was like I grew out of it. I, grew out of it. I was like, what the hell? And then in this Buddhist community, there was a pressure point of so much tension. People would have turned to drinking, drugs, aimless sex, a whole bunch of stuff in this moment to try and just not think about what was going on. Mm. I turned to gaming, online gaming. Mm. Now, online gaming, this game, how it works, and this is very important. I know it might be like, what the hell? Well, how it works is you play, you're with five people, and when you die, you have about a minute before you're, you come back to life and you can play, you can fight again. In this minute, I would be on dating apps. And my brain started to associate, my brain didn't have time to process these feelings that were going, these difficult feelings. So I was playing this game, I would die, and then, oh no, I'd start to think about the situation I was, because I was living there, I look around and think, oh shit, I'm in this room. But to get rid of that, I then went to dating apps. And I was constantly distracted. And I think what happened there was my brain had learned that um, apps is associated to pleasure and escape. Mm -hmm. So then I became quite into dating apps more and more. And that would be a way to try and escape the, the world I lived in. Mm. And then um, I moved out of community in this horribly clumsy, embarrassing way. I moved out of community. And then in a rejection of that, I was thinking, no, no more thinking, Michael. No more interrogating. No more questioning what's deeper, what's going on beneath all this. I'm so tired of always asking why, why, like why, why are you resisting this? Is there a deeper reason? Because I did. That's what that's the the Buddhist order asks. The Buddhist life asks is this the contemplation of your deeper instincts. And I became absolutely broken by that process. Sounds like you were completely burnt out. Yeah. From analyzing. Yeah, I didn't want to analyze anymore. So, mm-hmm. in a response to that i moved out and i just thought i'm going to do a year of action and just acting even act on my impulses without even questioning anything so i moved out and i started to just do things like the more adventurous sex people would say can i meet up and do this to like with you and uh, could i offer you money and i'd be like no 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 not at all i don't want to do money stuff like findom absolutely not but then this rebellious, burnt-out side would be like, just do it, you're overthinking it. Don't ask them where their mental state is. Don't ask them how their financial status is. That's just analysing. Don't take responsibility, just act. So, I mean, I, I'm just I'm talking about one or two exchanges here in, in the space of a year. So it was very small, but it was surrounded by a whole attitude of, no, don't think too much. Oh, but maybe don't think too much, blah, 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 blah. So can I just ask, though, because... I. I was just wondering how, because part of what I was asking is why was there a hesitance to go onto Instagram? So then having people, having accept conversations of people who are interested made me feel much more attractive. And I quickly coined onto the, that the, what I wore and what I was interested in, trainers and trackies and sportswear, mm-hmm. was a currency of being more attractive and getting more attention. 
if I had that gear on. And I wanted to share. I felt very sexy in that. I didn't necessarily want attention. I, you know, I sort of get enough attention. And I, I mean that in the most honest way. But I felt very sexy in what I wore. And then so I started to wear more and just be more open with that, but with friends and stuff. And then Instagram offered a way of showing what I felt sexy in. So I decided to download the app. I made a personal account, which is much more poetic and artistic. And then I made another account, which would just show trainers and socks. And it was very liberating. I could finally have a voice. I could finally have a space where I can explore the, the stuff that, that makes me feel confident in who I am. It's a drag in some sense. Yeah, and I think that was very palpable in season two. There was a point at which you created the Insta Instagram account. You started to talk more in terms of exploring the jock side of you. Mm. It gave me a way to do that. And there is a jock yeah, side of me. Mm. So the Instagram stuff happened. I didn't show face for, for about six, seven months. And I just thought, I'm going to start showing my face. And I showed my face. And then the followers started to build. And then you get more attention. And then people start offering things and wanting to meet. And then you have all of a sudden this power. And mm. you're like, hmm. But whilst on the side, I was genuinely looking for relationships and dating. And in season one, we talk about it, the last episode, like, can I date someone who's vanilla or not into this stuff? And wrestling with this question of, do I need this kink Instagram? Or who, who, who could I date, essentially? I think you were wrestling with, how can I be in a relationship if, if I have this kinky side? Because when would it come out and would it be accepted and would the person I'm with have that same kink or not? And it was like, I don't know, I don't know but I'm going to still keep going with this Instagram thing because at the, at this moment, it's the only time, it's the only thing where I can express myself and be validated for it. But I'm searching endlessly for doms and or a relationship and it's just not happening. And I think I need to take some responsibility there. Maybe there's something that I'm doing wrong, but I, and I'm going to look into that when I see a therapist, but over the years of Instagram, I've had it for two, just under two years in December, I'm continuously looking for authentic, real connection, but not being able to find it. And similarly to you being defeated by it. And time and time again, let's start a conversation. Let's be all crazy about it. Let's never talk again. Let's mm. date someone. It's actually really great. And then all of a sudden they just ghost you or you ghost them. Oh, it's this horrible, horrible toxic world of trying to connect, but we're just so, in my opinion, short short wired and just looking for instant gratification no this person's not good enough next person next person that i think has really crept up in today's society and we cannot underestimate that enough it's almost as though the intention of finding an enduring connection is not even there anymore the intention is more just intense brief connections that can give you that kind of dopamine hit and it's a, it's, it's a pseudo form of relationship in a sense, because the relationship in part, part of its core is, will this person want me? And does this person desire me? And as soon as you get that, like, oh yeah, let's meet up. That's that, those, those are those two questions confirmed. It's like, okay, good. Well, now will this person want me and desire me? Yet they say they want to meet up. Good. Now will this person, it's like you're, you're stuck in the chase 
and that seems to be the end goal because mm. our brains are so corroded by this fast-paced social world in social media world and it's perpetuated because you can just move on to the next conversation yeah yeah there's within a week plenty of people you can move on to and one of the biggest tragedies which we knew have found is that when you do actually meet someone you'd like the sad truth is when, when it ends the sad truth is that you forget about them completely within two or three weeks it is you sad. Think, Can you tell me specifically what is sad for you about that? Because, yes, it's sad, but what is it that's sad? Because you meet someone, they seem to break through all the noise of social media, instant gratification, dopamine hits. They break through. You find a genuine connection with them. You're excited to see them, their smell, their touch. And you think, wow, I can actually make something here. Then they have a change of heart all of a sudden because they're still on this sort of rabbit hole of of the current dating world or I may have a different feeling connection because I'm in this rabbit hole. I still have a whole momentum of and and hard wiring now of oh no wait a minute I'm getting a bit bored now or this this is a bit too difficult now I'm going to move on but we're still on that pipette, on that momentum and when they say no especially when they say no, you feel, God, I really missed out here. Like we were really going somewhere and I really like them and it really hurts. But then too excited, you, you, they've completely forgotten about that. That whole possibility of genuine connection is forgotten about. Very sad. Mm. So the fact that you can move on from it so quickly is what saddens yeah. you. Yeah. And just that it has broken through and it was possible, but then you just yeah. move on. It's like you're in this river and it's rushing and you're like drowning with everyone else. And then you grab onto this branch and you think I'm saved. I can get out of this rat race. And then either you let go because you're still in the river or the branch breaks and gets caught in the river as well. And then that brief moment of freedom of taking a breath of fresh air, you think, oh, that's right. That's really what I want. But then two, three metres down the track, two, three weeks later, you actually forget about that whole thing. You're like, oh, you're actually, and you you downplay it, you minimise the whole experience. But actually, that was your fucking saving grace. Very well said. So this is happening the whole time. I'm on Instagram. You're on dating apps. It's these continuous experiences of meeting people and not working and because the whole system is broken this whole dating world system i really i mean actually look it comes out with some positives i'm not going to lie that you meet people i went on two dates last week because of social of dating apps etc but the whole phone culture and being dopamine hit has i think completely destroyed a lot of the possibilities of genuine connection so many you have to be in the right place feeling the right thing at the right time and they do too for for anything to work it's it's so hard now and there's a fear towards that when you turn towards the reality of that you just think god it's it's crazy and that further has pushed me down into this instagram world why has it led that way because it's the only place where you do feel a form of connection and wanting and being desired and attention long lasting attention because you're still chatting with them online where 
you may get attention at the club, but it, it leaves when you leave the door. And I'm not this attention-seeking, you know, person. I'm not tagging my posts. I'm not asking for more followers. I actually took 600 away recently. I'm actually a bit averse. There's also a struggle there. But it is a system that is there when you're in the deep hours of the night, you're feeling alone, you're feeling disenchanted by the dating world, you're feeling like you want some kind of connection, it's there all the time. And you log on, people give you attention, and you just get stuck into it. It's got a huge gravity. Mm. I'm hearing you say this as someone who does not have an Instagram account. So I'm, I find it hard to relate to, and I'm curious about this world you've created that's more stable with enduring connections, even though they are online. It's interesting. I'm hearing it, and, and you, you know what my reaction is, is, oh, maybe I should get an Instagram account. Mm. So what happens is I met this guy I got a bit of a crush on. He's not doesn't really engage in the online world, which is great. But I realize that when we, if we start dating or if I was to open up, I'd be like, oh, yeah, now I've got Instagram. I've also got a kink one. Oh, what do you do on that? You know, I just show my stuff. If I was to be absolutely honest, oh, I sell socks that I wear for God knows how long. And I meet people up for sessions. And the further I get into this, I just think, is this going to actually allow me to enter into a relationship with people that I like. You can argue, oh yeah, but you can find another kingster who's into all of that. Well, I've been looking for two years now. More That's two years on Instagram looking. I've been looking to find a king partner for a long time. Doesn't seem to happen. I think it's, I think it's gone, it went very unrealistic for a long time. Oh no, they have to be this, 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 and this. Now I'm not looking for a person who's even dominant. I'm just looking for a person to trainers because I know trainers is at my core. But I'm just finding myself where I am right now is I'm finding myself falling deeper into falling further away from, I don't know. I'm just finding myself falling deeper into this world, which seems to be more centered around me. Could you argue though, that this person you've met, whether it's this person or someone else, might lead you to be less interested and less engaged in Instagram, that you might actually have a pull out of it? Yeah, you can. The I mean, it's crossed my mind, would I give up the Instagram account for someone? I think I definitely would, but it... Well, that's not even that. It's not that you would give it up for them. It might be that you feel less interested and just don't want to go there because whatever else you've got going on, feels more rewarding yeah. or valuable. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can see your point. So, Michael, how does this lead to the point where you said you've gotten to now, which is playing the dominant? It feels as if it's the... There's, there's two things I can think of immediately. It feels as if it's the only thing that's happening at the moment, the only attention I'm getting is from submissive people. So I'm like, okay, well, if nothing else is happening or other stuff might be happening, I might be meeting a dom here or there, but they're not long lasting. They go quiet, I go quiet. 
So it's, it seems to be the only thing on the menu at the time. That's one way of saying it. So circumstantial that you're Circumstantial, here? yeah. But it's also long, this is long, a long period. I mean, it's two years I've been doing this stuff more, more professionally, more, more openly. I've been engaging. Mm. I think it's because partly it's the exhaustion I feel in the day-to-day -day world, the really non, so the non-online world. It's just the exhaustion in that, and it seems to be the only place I'm finding someone's having the con same conversation, the king conversation with me. Mm. And then the, the second thing is I'm also feeling more of the jock. I'm, I think I'm owning my looks a bit more and that's evident in the tattoos I'm getting and questioning. So I think me getting tattoos is symbolic because I'm sort of owning the way I look and I do feel that real jock kind of level. And therefore the dominant side actually is coming alongside that. And I think that that's a healthy thing. I don't think that's something which needs to be pathologized. It's a healthy evolution there. So it sounds like an integration of the way you look and then feel inside being more aligned. Yeah. So, Michael, if we put this all together, it sounds as though you found yourself in a place where you're, although you're a submissive, you're playing the dominant a lot. And this episode has really detailed how you got there. Starts off with having been conflicted in a Buddhist community and on these apps and this brain association, which leads you to Instagram and a whole world of dynamics that play out. And these dynamics have led you to places where you've been able to really flourish into parts of yourself that you've felt free to do more and more, like your, your kink Instagram has allowed you to really kind of come into yourself. And maybe it's part of that, you know, um, like we were saying in my episode, you kind of get clear on who you are. Sounds like getting clear on who you are has led you to a dominant. You've, you're clear that you like trainers. You're clear that you are hmm. integrated in your jock persona. I also think if you're clear in what you are in, doesn't mean, mean you're dominant you're just because you could be a submissive and be clear in what you want as well. True. I don't think it's necessarily that, that simple. Because then it implies that submissives are not clear on what they want and they don't know their limits and their boundaries and they can't assert that, which they most certainly can. Maybe we could say then you're clear on your sexual, your emerging sexual identity and how it expresses itself, which is someone who appears dominant but actually is still playing a lot of service to the fantasies of others. Yeah. But increasingly com comfortable in the dominant skin, you know, that. that yeah. I think I just want to push the point that a large part of why I'm at where I am comes as a result of really struggling to find intimate relationships in the day to day world. Yes, it is about celebrating my kink and interests. That's definitely part of why I'm in, I'm in, I am where I am. But I think the larger player here is a real 
sad and broken part of me, which comes out of really struggling to find a partner. As sad as that sounds, but yeah. And it's not the end of the story, it's just where I'm at now. And I think in the future, I see this integrating much more in a healthy direction, but it's taken those conditions, those experiences to get where I am in the moment. So time will tell. And Michael, I think that's a really good place to end because it leaves the door open for season four. Season more? <laughs> it sounds like there's more ways to go. This is an ongoing process for both of us. I think you've still got, like you're saying, there's, there's where you're at and where is it going next? I think that's the same for me. And for all of our listeners, thank you for the feedback you've given, the questions you've been asking. Please keep going. We love your emails. We love you. Thanks for all the support. See you next time. That's a wrap. Bye-bye. Isn't it always nice to see me? Of course. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we saw the end of this season. (laughs) (laughs) We're intact. We're still alive. We're still put together. Brutally honest. (laughs) (laughs) The places we went and... Yeah. Oh, Jesus. What's exciting about this season for me, Indy, is that it's taken me as far as I can go so far in all my thinking and processing and understanding things, which for me, if you know me, that's quite a, a deep place because we are deep thinkers. And what's exciting is that it really has taken me to the last possible thought around this topic for me. However, <laughs> I can still observe an evolution in my kink and the way I think about things. There's a subtle evolution happening now i can just focus on not looking back but looking forward whoa can you tell me more about this (laughs) that was really like inspired and passionate (laughs) (laughs) but are you the same like are you do you feel the same well i want to hear more about your subtle revolution what is it subtle evolution oh yeah okay well we're getting straight into it this is not even two minutes into an introduction this is a rambles, <laughs> by the way, everyone. P.S. P.S. Now, we did say last episode was the last episode, but we did put a proviso saying that there could potentially be a rambles. So, so because of popular demand, <laughs> <laughs> we've had a lot of people tugging on our coats, pulling at our shirts. <laughs> Which reminds us, please email us. You'll find the link in all our descriptions uh, if you have any feedback or comments or criticisms. Ooh. Ooh. Yes, moving forward. So I think one interesting thing that I've observed myself um, rambling is just that I have been dominant, predominantly dominant. Mm. And... A large part of it is quite authentic. I am enjoying it. And it's this bizarre kind of space that I'm living in uh, where people are, you know, in a submissive role, worshipping and asking to do stuff. And it's just like, oh, 
but in light of our recent episodes, uh, particularly how do we end up here and the whole conversation around being burnt out by the dating scene. Yeah. There's a real sinister energy in me, which is manifesting into this dominant persona, which reminds me of you. <laughs> <laughs> you finally caught up, hey? Yeah. Which is, I wonder what hand is driving this dominant part of me. Mm. Is it this burnt out, wounded ego that's just trying to get revenge on men? Or is there something more, you know, sentimental about it? Is that something you're trying to now understand in yourself about what might be driving Mm. the dom side? Because it is, it is a bizarre. I know I mentioned this in our previous episode. It is a bizarre concept when people kind of want to worship you or see you in a certain way. Remember that comment I made, which is, I still find it very hard to be seen as desirable. Like I can yeah. believe it, but I don't feel it. That's a really, that's a huge barrier. I think in really owning the dominance, it just is like I don't. It doesn't. I can't break through that. Mm. I love this because it's helping push you to that point in yourself that's maybe not letting out. It's it's pushing you to a point in yourself that is holding you back to some extent in fully owning who you are. When you say that, I just think, <laughs> well, like, what if you become, I become, <laughs> see what I did there? I used you because it was a, you know. Uh, if I become like narcissistic and, you know, like uh, self-centered, what's to stop dominant people doing that? Or is it just an element that it's with, within woven within the fabric, but doesn't mean it's the complete the complete total. It's a tricky one because when I've been in dom frenzy, there have been times where I felt a sense of elated ego and super inflated and probably in some trippy headspace about myself, but it always feels momentary. It doesn't feel like it's a persistent, long-lasting, complete change and shift in view of who I fundamentally am. But do you always chase it? Don't you chase it? No, I don't chase it, no. Mm. Oh, I, I, I was for a while there, I was, yes. I've now moved away from that, but I guess because of the process we've been through in Season 3, I'm now also in a different space around how I'm interacting with my BDSM side. It does feel like letting men worship me, there is something to say about me feeling that love for myself. Is that what you mean? In terms of like kind of owning yourself? Mm. Like I'm worth being blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think there's part of what we've been saying in your your process through season three is really, I think, a sense that you feel like showing who you really are. Wait a minute, let me think about what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is hard stuff to talk about because we're really at a high level, aren't we? Yeah, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that it's hard to articulate it because it feels like we're both distilling into what it is we're trying to say as we're talking because it is up a higher level I think what we're doing now is the way that we are approaching BDSM is so much, much more with such layers of awareness. I've been thinking about how BDSM is like a cake, a layered cake, 
And now when we're looking at this particular part, we've got a slice of that cake and we can see we can see it from a number of layers as we're describing something, which mm. makes it then become quite uh, uh, quite a tricky uh, task to articulate it. Because what I'm what I'm hearing from you is there's a part of you that shrinks away from people adoring you, and that's the barrier to really becoming more dom, is owning that part that is adored for the aesthetic and beauty you do possess. Mm. And what we've covered in season three is more of the submissive side of you and the avoidant attachment side of you, which is that part of you that feels as though when you're in that headspace of being defective, that you're safe in that role of being that person who isn't good enough and being told that. And now that you've become more aware that that's really what's going on, mm-hmm. whilst in parallel cultivating this dominant side of you, <laughs> it's meant that the door has opened up more into being able to lean into another part of you, which, again, coming back to season three, that whole idea that you were a flower trying to grow and getting squashed, I really believe that this season has helped lift the barriers on keeping you down, is it's helping you come out into something and you're wrestling with what that means to you because it's so fundamentally different to how you've always been in relation to yourself. Hmm. Well said, Indy. Like, that really, like, where did that come from? <laughs> Was not expecting that. <laughs> it's perfectly said. <laughs> yeah. This is really interesting. I was, um, I was texting a guy yesterday, and it was a complete focus on him and making sure he's happy. So I retreated back into the submissive identity that listeners and yourself have come so much to know. And within the lines, I'm just going to pull it up now, actually, because I want to read out this key sentence, which I just thought, fuck, it was really poignant. Uh, so I, I, so this is me. This is all me. This is a snippet of me saying all of this. I get a lot of attention and many guys want me to be the dom slash top. But I'm just looking for someone who can just take all that away. I'm just looking for someone who can just take away all that pressure and let me do what I do best, which is just to worship. That's why I don't really care for reciprocal. Uh, and to hear you saying that verbally whilst I'm servicing you would be absolutely, and I'd give like a thumbs up emoji. It was in this moment which I just wanted to relinquish all that pressure and attention that people give me. I don't want to be seen. It's too much pressure because I feel like, as we've outlined in the season, it's going to reveal this mixed up, contradictory, unstable character. Yes. And so there's two places to go with what you've just said. One is we come back to that idea of the unconflicted mind state that a submissive can enter into when they have that overpowering dominant force, which you're craving when you're feeling all of these conflicted states of mind and the pressures of being a dom. Mm. 
It's almost as though you've been a dom so long that to have a reprieve from that, you need to go back to the submissive. Mm. The other thing I want to do is, is say I'm, I'm having a personal reaction to that because I'm increasingly finding it hard to be dom. I find it very hard because I'm so aware of this insecure part of me that's operating that I don't feel I can be a, quote, real dom. Whilst I was in these conflicted states of mind and just they were more of a backdrop that I, weren't, I wasn't quite touching into and I was just operating as a dom, mm. was a very different process internally to now at the forefront I see that I'm really playing out my insecurities. <laughs> because I'm so aware that that's what I'm doing, I, it's hard to feel like a, a quote, real, authentic, mm. dominant anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like whilst you're enacting the scene in your head, you're just hearing the voices of your insight, which is, oh, but this is coming out from a broken, or this is coming out from a place in the past where there's insecurities, etc. This is all just insecurities playing out. I think what it is is that I recognise that I have used the props of my dominant persona to feel safe, to connect intimately. And because I can recognise that and I see that what I need is to feel in this position of superiority as a place of safety, it's quite hard-hitting. It's confronting. And so I don't really want to play the dominant role if that's what I'm doing primarily anymore. Are you hanging up the whip? No, because... On another level, I don't, th- again, I think coming back to this whole idea that BDSM is a layered cake, right now we've been zoomed into this particular layer and so conscious of it that it feels like it's taking up the entire cake. Whereas if I zoom back out again, there are the layers playing out when I'm being dominant. And I feel as though I need to go some- through some kind of integrative process to feel like okay, I see where this was coming from and I can continue to step into a dominant role, maybe positioned out of a place of insecurity and and from some other, you know, I need to go through some process here to land somewhere else with my dominant persona. But I just also really love the dynamic, the power exchange. Mm. There's a lot of subtleties and sensations and symbolism going on that's not all directly related to this. It doesn't all come back to this. Definitely. I think it's really important to remember. And it's, I think, equally important to embrace those insecurities because you can only be so far with, with your, with people's trauma, you could be aware of it, but the consequences of the trauma still echo and, and exist within your psyche, you know? And I think it's about owning that and working with, and BDSM is a way of creatively working with your trauma. That's one way I think of re- reclaiming that power of, am I working out insecurities here or am I creatively playing with them because I know them now and they don't hold that much power over me? Mm. And I think that's the process I need to go through is that there is complex trauma around relationships for me. There is some serious complexity there in the layers of what those experiences have had been. Yeah. When I've listened back to that relationship episode a few times, it's just striking to me that there's some real complexity in what that's done to help to how I see myself in relation to 
men and mm. what can happen and myself. And so because there's such complexity there, I understand that it's a creative outlet to go down the road of a, of a dom. Mm. And I think that I just need to get to a point, as I'm talking out loud, I think what I'm needing is to increasingly give some compassion and acceptance to the complex trauma and develop some space around it and some freedom and choice around it because right now it feels more like I'm aware of it and it's driving me. Yeah. And that's and probably going to the dom, Huh? That's going to ebb and flow. I, I mean, like, you're, you're starting to do art as well, I've noticed. That's another way of engaging with difficult feelings. But what's striking is both philosophers Schopenhauer and Nietzsche said all of life is suffering and they both were a huge force of saying that the only way to work with that suffering is through the creative arts. And I think that does parallel is that we've all got suffering and trauma and that a way to work with that and live with it is through creative beings. And I think play, BDSM play, is a fantastic way of doing it because it's consensual. And the, the more you know the person, the deeper you can know each other's trauma and, and you hold it safely. It's not this, not this beast within you which just can attach itself to everything. You've actually got a place where you can both watch it, play with it, throw it in the air, enact it, and then it goes back into its little box. You could bring it out next time. It doesn't just run amok within the whole, the day-to-day. And I think you're hitting on a really key point here, which is that increasingly where I'm finding myself is being drawn to a deep, intimate connection with someone that I can cultivate some safety in. Mm. And I think that would be a healthy place to then bring out the dominant side Mm. and increasingly allow that person to see the different angles of the complex trauma and hopefully then have that process shared. Mm. Like you're saying, and but then, but also, it's within a safe, trusting environment. Like when you said, bring out the dominant side, just replace the word for bring out the insecurities and the trauma. That's what the sub is doing as well. We find a connection with someone, we go deeper, we want to bring out our insecurities, and then they will hold it. That's what creates the connection. So, you bring out your dom side is you bringing out those insecurities and trauma, and the sub saying, I see it. I can see there's vengeance and anger and like whipping and chastity behind it, but I'm going to hold that. And you know what? I'm just going to hold that. I'm going to love it too, because it's also hitting on my stuff. And we can explore Mm. this together rather than not speak about it at all, pretend everything's okay. And then it just comes up in different ways and destroys the relationship again. Mm. I would really love that to have Mm. the opportunity for that. I think that would be awesome actually. Like your whole thing of wanting to lock a guy up relates to something like a guaranteed desire towards you. And that comes out of a traumatic place. But if that other person likes that, then it works. (laughs) Well, that's why I think I'm so drawn to chastity and men who like chastity. Because that's the deeply most safe place I can feel. Hmm. And it's tricky because I have I have been talking to a sub recently who's there's sort of like a, a new a newer connection. I don't know where that connection's going to go, but the thing I've noticed is now that I'm in this headspace, when he's bringing up chastity, I I really want to I really want to explore that, and I don't want to do it in a way that it's have a session here or there casually, 
and it's almost more on the surface that I I want to have a a real yeah a really good connection around yeah. the fun play of it, but then also what's going on for both of us with that. Yeah. And I just don't know. That's the thing, Michael, is I just don't know that I will find the opportunity for this. And it's like maybe I just have to reconcile with that and say it's okay. Hmm. I think many people go throughout their lives not fulfilling fantasies or desires. And they have to find it in other ways or they just don't. Well, this is beyond fulfilling a fantasy. It's also, I, I would say, ultimately healing and finding freedom. That's the thing is I think that the, the tricky point is that I doubt I also now have this real aversion to anything vanilla and relationships in general. So maybe it's just I think that season three has really kicked the dust up into the air and I just need time for it to settle. Yeah. And the thing is you can never go wrong with too much knowledge. It'll always It's always for the better. I'm heading in direction. I'm getting a big career change in August. And that's going to allow me to be a bit more open with my BDSM and kink. Oh. And as you know, I've applied to become a, a therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very cool. As a counsellor or psychotherapist, yeah, uh, which is very exciting. With the aim to become a sex therapist or psychosexual counsellor. That'd be really, really nice. And work with people in their kinks. So that will start in September. But there's another part mm-hmm. of me which is competing, thinking, oh, and wondering if I should go into the whole sex work industry or fetish work industry, including OnlyFans. Well, why, what's stopping you from doing both? I feel on a really deep level, this is season two, that the path of fetish work, which is what I'm calling it, is in some way taking the shadow magician way, which is making a space where we're continuing these, and this contradicts everything I've just said in this episode, but continuing these dynamics, which are caught up in wounds. Mm. And I don't know what progress that gets people where going the sex therapist way is allowing people to work through their kinks. Like for example, there's a guy that's messaged me. He's really into being a cash sub and he's also seeing a therapist for it. And Mm. one path is to enable him to like send money all the time. But then What's happened throughout the year or two is that he has slowly stopped sending money, which is good, and he's grown past me, which I'm actually really happy about and proud about because I think it means that he's worked through some stuff and realized that this isn't the way that the best way to seek security and warmth, and he's evolved past this dominant persona that he feels he needed to worship. And I think that's the work of sex therapists or the work of sex workers is to continue that, possibly continue those uh, more destructive, not destructive, is to work past those fetishes that have much bigger gravity, like Findom and, you know, there's more major players. I'm just hearing a progression that maybe is happening for people. And so that progression is when people are increasingly open to seeing their own kinks and experimenting with them beyond with themselves in private so they take it elsewhere out into sex work. And doing that might just be in itself just playing out more of the same 
but could lead to increasing self-awareness or an increasing sense of, well, maybe this is having a harmful impact like the cash stuff. And so coming into some internal conflicts, which could then lead to, again, this is a progression, leading to Mm. the type of sex therapy work that people might then engage in. And it sounds like you're telling me that you're not sure where on that timeline you want to position yourself. Mm. And what I'm suggesting is you could do both. What's stopping you from doing both? You, it sounds like it's going to take a while before you get this accreditation. Mm. So while it's going on, you could be doing some sex work, which probably would help really inform your work as a psychotherapist. It's kind of like the person who, and I think this is so uh, informed by still stern black and white views I must have about kink or my own kink, is like, is it the drug dealer? Am I wanting to be the drug dealer? or the rehabilitation officer. I think yeah. it's a very narrow view of sex workers. Like, I don't, I don't think sex workers do this stuff. I'm thinking about, like, kink in the, in the dominance, a very specific niche in the dominant submissive role. I'm wondering if that is the drug dealer that's enabling all this and, and privately amassing power and ego and money out of it. That's the shadow magician versus the drug counsellor who's trying to get them to come off that and go into a more healthy, sustainable part of them. That's, I think, the conflict. Well, I think that you could be engaging with that conflict really skillfully by looking at the limits people are pushing themselves with. So, again, if we're going to cash stuff, if you're engaging with someone and then you can see that they're getting more into the limerence, that they are increasing the levels of frequency then that, that's not shadow magician. There's a, there's a magician part of you that can then come out and say, hey, I'm not sure if this is a direction you really want to keep going. Mm. You can be taking a check on their process and, and seeing where the limits might need to come in because in a way people are going to engage in this anyway. Yeah. And better that they engage with someone who's consciously. Yeah. That's true. One thing I'm very happy about is dating and I'm being very honest with the stuff that I'm into and doing from the Mm -hmm. get-go. Oh, I sell you socks. Oh, I've got a kink Instagram account. I've got a BDSM podcast. I sometimes do fetish work. And and that's how I kind of start within the first date or two. And Mm. I don't have any shame in it. There is a sadness when you meet someone, you just think they are lovely, but they probably, it's probably too much for them. And I, I get that. It's a bit of a, ugh. but there's no shame in the actions that I've done in the last few years. Fantastic. I absolutely am embracing and loving of this side of you now that you can be so upfront about it and it doesn't, it's not wrapped up with shame. Yeah. Good. Very good. Yes. And speaking about dating and hot guys, how have you gone in your promise that you made in episode one of this season, which is that you would approach attractive men on the street? <laughs> Michael, it has happened not just once, but twice. So when I was on a walk with a friend recently, um, mm. we went past this guy and he was coming out of, there was a jetty and he was coming out of the water and he was pulling out his canoe and his gorgeousness was glistening in the sunlight. And so I went down to the jetty 
and I started to just shout out to him, hey, and he looked up and I said, sorry to interrupt you. I was just walking past on that bridge there and saw you and I wanted to let you know that I think you're really hot. So I turn around and walk away really fast <laughs> to my friend who's, who's nervously waiting and then we, we keep going on our way. Second time was a guy in an outdoor gym and I was doing a workout and I could see him. And so then he had his headphones in. This is fucking gutsy. Mm -hmm. I went up to him with his headphones on and said, excuse me. So he took out one of his headphones and I said, I just wanted to let you know that I've noticed you and I think you're really attractive. (laughs) (laughs) And then I very quickly walked over to my bike and sped off. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just really happy to say that I went ahead and did that. And this leads me into something I just wanted to talk through, which is the process I'm going through with my own gender identity. Mm. Because that's a big part of what's been going on for me is trying to understand what I am. I've been through phases of really embracing my masculine side and all the dom characteristics that I think are manly and emphasising those and a change in my wardrobe to wear more things like shorts and Adidas and all that stuff. But then another level has been of me trying to understand a bit more of what what am I? Am I androgynous? Because the other part of me thinks I've, I've now shortened my hairstyle to, to look and I think the way I look is you can't quite tell sometimes am I a man or a woman. I've got an androgy- sort of an androgynous face and mm. so I've been playing with that and that's also been a kind of process I've been going through. But then in dating, this is where it's coming up in a major way because a lot of people assume that I'm a lesbian. It's really obvious. In fact, my my whole family <laughs> is probably waiting until I out myself, <laughs> even though I have nothing to out right now. I, I, I'm in the park and people just assume Oh, I was talking to some other lesbians like, oh, so you, I said I was going to go out on a date. And I said, oh, well, I hope she's nice. <laughs> you love it though, no? I don't know because it's, it's confusing to me because this is a look I really like. Again, it's short hair and I've got some piercings and I look kind of more on the uh, more masculine androgynous side. Butch. I don't know about butch. I don't know, I don't know if I like that association but maybe that's what it is and the way I even my voice and how I talk sometimes when I go into a petrol station I'm like yeah receipt thanks bye I can tell that I'm carrying myself as if I'm a lesbian but then I just think well am I a lesbian am I the last person to know that I'm a lesbian and I do find women attractive and I've never been able to explore that part of myself is that something that needs to happen why you have tried to explore that. Yeah, I've tried now on dating apps. It just doesn't go anywhere. And I don't know if the dating apps is really a place to take it to that level of. Why? Oh, because it's just, it never ends up in a date. Yeah, but neither does straight stuff. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, and then then the other part of, of all this is that now that I have this more androgynous look and that I've got more of a lesbian look, 
I've noticed that when I have a dating profile that has recent pictures of me, the hit rates from men are markedly lower than the pictures I have of my more feminine side. So I'm just I'm just in a bit of a world of confusion. Mm. <laughs> Where do I land on all of this? And and also increasingly really questioning what whether I want to remain a cis female. It's huge. Indeed. That is a huge, huge movement in your identity. Mm. Listeners, it's been a fantastic season. Please email us with your feedback. Next season, will Indy know sexual identity? And will Michael be a sex worker, sex therapist? Who knows? Thanks again for listening. All the best. Bye, everyone.